We're going to be uh, looking at the authority of Jesus, and um, I'll say this in the middle of the message, but I'll just say it on the very front end, the word translated authority a lot of times is speaking of power, the power of Jesus. We've come to a section that introduces, this is the last section of the introduction of Jesus' earthly ministry. After his temptation in the wilderness, he went through the, the synagogues of Galilee, preaching, and then he went up to Nazareth, which was his hometown, and taught in the synagogue where he grew up. It was here that Luke introduces us to his message, and Luke summarizes his message that he was doing, that he was speaking in all the synagogues in Galilee, and then in his own, and it was a message of salvation. It was, um, it was the gospel, it was the good news of the kingdom of God. And he, he is, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah. This message enraged the people in his hometown synagogue to the point where they decided to try to kill him. And they, I showed you last week the brow of the hill where they tried to throw him off. They were full of spiritual pride. So Jesus left Nazareth and went back down to the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum is where we're going to find him in this passage of Scripture. So if you will stand with me, we will read in um, Luke chapter number 4, verse number 31. And he went down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee. Now, I'll just say this. He would not have to say this to Jewish people. They knew where Capernaum was. He was speaking to Gentiles unfamiliar with the geography of the Promised Land. Okay, with, uh, Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. And when the sun was setting, all those who had... Uh, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news. That word is gospel, right? Evangelion, the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues 
of Judea. Let us pray. Lord, as we have read today, Jesus possesses all authority and power. There is a spiritual realm of wickedness and evil. And I pray, Lord, as we uh, look at scriptures today, many, many scriptures, that we will understand the nature of the enemy, the nature of the battle that we're in, and the weapon, the one weapon that we have in this battle. And above all else, may Christ be glorified and honored in his name. Amen. Thank you so much. So, as I said before, as Luke tells us that after he was rejected at Nazareth, Jesus went down to Capernaum. Now, this village is on the Sea of Galilee, and down is an appropriate uh, term because Nazareth was about 1,300 feet above sea level, and the Sea of Galilee, which Capernaum was on, is about 680 feet below sea level. And so it's the lowest freshwater lake in the world. There's no other freshwater lake that is lower than the Sea of Galilee. The Dead Sea, which is a saltwater lake, is 600 feet lower than that, about 12 to 1,300 feet below sea level. But he's going to Galilee, and he drops 2,000 feet to get down to the Sea of Galilee. And of course, he was famous already. And because of his fame, he, when he went into a synagogue, naturally they would ask him to speak. And so he's in this, Caper this uh, synagogue in Capernaum, and he is speaking. Now you must remember that there has never been a teacher like Jesus Christ who has ever lived on the face of the earth. He was the most captivating orator you have ever heard. He was the clearest communicator. And he had the greatest understanding of Scripture because he is the Word of God, isn't he? To listen to Jesus teach would, have been, would be the most thrilling experience of your life. Sure, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, the Apostle Paul, but Jesus Christ reigns supreme in all the speakers of the world that I would love to hear teach, wouldn't you? He was a preacher par excellence, but his preaching was different than anything they'd ever heard before, and Luke says that they were astonished. The word astonished is a very strong word. We would use the word thunderstruck or bewildered or overwhelmed. It was an overwhelming experience that they had. And the question is, what was it about his teaching that astonished them? And the answer is that he possessed authority. He possessed authority. And we said that word can be translated power. Mark uh, 122, which is the parallel passage in that gospel, says, They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and it adds, not as the scribes. And you, you must know the difference in the teaching. The mode of teaching back then was when a scribe or a Pharisee or somebody who got up started speaking, their authority came because they would say, Rabbi so-and-so, who was a student of Rabbi so-and-so, who said this. And then they would read another passage of Scripture, and Rabbi so-and-so, and Rabbi so-and-so. It had to be monotonous and boring, to be honest with you, because they, they kept quoting so many different, uh, getting their authority from these rabbis. Their teaching was just a litany of quoting other rabbis. But Jesus, 
Jesus was God. His very words possessed authority. And that word, as I said, means power. And so his words possess power. And this is what this whole section is about. It's about the power of Jesus in his word over demons and over disease. We'll see in this whole section. Now, this doesn't add a lot of, um, I'm sorry. Um, Luke has already framed Jesus' ministry as spiritual warfare. That's the whole frame. Go back to the beginning of Luke chapter 4 in your Bibles. If, if you want to remember the temptation of Jesus, he goes out into the wilderness, verses 1 to 13, and immediately, who does he, who's he run into? He runs into Satan, right? The devil. And this is important because then when he teaches his first sermon in verses 18 and following, he reads a passage of Scripture, right? And what is that passage of Scripture? That his message is being proclaimed to, uh, to liberate the captives from, and the oppressed. And this is important because the Bible teaches that the whole world is in bondage to Satan. It is the domain of the devil. Jesus said in John 8, 44, that the lost are children of Satan, unequivocally. Ephesians 2 says that the lost are following the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? That is Satan, the sons of disobedience. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. 1 John 5.19 says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Acts 26, Paul says that Jesus sent him to preach the gospel to turn people from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. We can sum it up this way. This is what the Bible teaches in no uncertain terms that all sinners are under the dominion of Satan. Bottom line, it doesn't compromise on that. Now this adds a lot of context to Luke 4.18. Turn to Luke 4.18 with me, please. Luke 4.18. The Spirit was upon Jesus to do what, according to Luke 4.18? Proclaim good news to the poor first. Proclaim liberty to captives. Now what captives? People who are captive to sin and Satan. To recover the sight of the blind. Why are they spiritually blind? Because Satan blinded them to the truth of the gospel. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Hebrews 2.15 says that the lost spend their lives in slavery to Satan. Now, how is Jesus going to release these people? How is he going to do this? He is going to proclaim good news to the poor. By preaching the gospel. That's how you do it. We could close up the book and go home, right? That's how you do it. Now, as we look here, there's one more cross-reference I want us to go to before we get into the, the meat of our message. 
In 1 John 3.8, it gives us a purpose statement for the coming of Christ. Look at what it says. The Son of Man appeared to destroy the works of the devil. I want you to notice that word destroy because it's going to pop back up. Okay? The Son of Man came to destroy the works of the devil. In other words, to break, what does that mean? It means to break the bondage and captivity that Satan has people under. Satan holds people he, by binding, in, binding them through worldly philosophies. Binding them to worldly desires. Binding them to worldly ideals. As long as Satan can get a person thinking about only this life and the concerns of this life, whether they're social, financial, political, or whatever else it is, he has them. And Satan knows that Jesus' purpose, and the demons know that the purpose was to destroy the work. Now look in our passage that we read today at Luke chapter 4 and verse number 33 this idea is going to come back up. In verse number 33, it says, And in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And here's his question. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, that, that question he knows the answer to the question. The demon does. It's a rhetorical question of sorts. And so Jesus is in the, God, in the synagogue. He's clearly preaching the gospel message. He's doing it with great authority and clarity. And remember what we learned already. It is the gospel message that pre, uh, frees people from their bondage to Satan and sin. And in the midst of the synagogue, here is this lost man who is demon-possessed. And Luke says, in the verse that we just read, a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. This is not uh, some kind of special category demon. They're all unclean. That's all it means. That's the way they're described repeatedly in Scripture. But I want you to notice another thing that he said. He uses a word, and it's one three-letter word, had. Had. This is a classic expression of demonic possession. Uh, Mark 7.25, a woman's daughter had an unclean spirit. In Luke 13.11, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit. In Luke 8.26, there was a man who had demons. This is a classic phrase that means that this person was demon-possessed. Now, as I was going through this week, my studies took a giant detour in the middle of the week on this matter of demon possession. Because I got to thinking to myself, do you know that I have never heard a pastor of a church that's not charismatic preach on demons? I haven't. Have you? Maybe you have. I haven't. And so, um, because of this, I want to focus in on demon possession today and the subject, what the Bible has to say about demons, because I think it's going to be very instructive for us as, and, and actually very practical for us when we leave here today, believe it or not. So, there is only one period of time where people are said to be possessed by demons, and that's during the ministry of Christ. 
and at the beginning of the apostles' ministry in Acts. More accurately, if you want to know, demon possession is mentioned in Mark or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. John doesn't mention it. This is the only time in Scripture where people are talked about being demon-possessed. Demon possession is not mentioned in the whole of the Old Testament, nor is it mentioned in any of the New Testament epistles. Now remember, the epistles are the letters from Paul, from John, from Peter, and then the other general ones that we don't know who the author is. Why is that? Why is that? That is because demons prefer to do their work in the background. How do they do their work in the background? Well, they do it through the idolatry of the pagan cultures around the world, right? Didn't Paul say if you worship an idol, what are you actually worshiping? Demons. They work through the the machine of government. Uh, Daniel chapter 10, demons are said to have ruled over regions such as Persia, right? They use people's sinful desires to accomplish their purposes. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul said that Satan can tempt people through their lack of self-control. And so most demonic activity is quiet and in the background. And so when you see legislation being passed or proposed that is strictly anti-Christian, at its root source, it is demonic. When you see acts of overt evil, the, the mass killings and those sort of things, at its source, it's demonic. When you see people promoting things that are anti-God, sinful, vile, and all those sorts of things, at its core, it's demonic. That's the root of all of it. And they work in the background, and they're never in the foreground most of the time. But during the the work of Christ and the apostles, demons were overt in their work. And, And I believe this for years, that when Christ appeared, Satan threw everything he had at Jesus to try to keep people in darkness as best he could. And so here comes, uh, well, let me, no, I'm not going to give that illustration. I'm going to move on because I've got a long sermon, to be honest with you. So here comes Jesus preaching the clear message of the gospel, a message of deliverance for those who are poor, for those who are prisoners and blind and oppressed. And he's coming to free them from Satan and free them from demons and free them from sin and death and hell and darkness And right in the middle of Jesus' sermon, this demon screams. And that's what the word means. This word cried out with a loud voice. The word cried out. What does he scream? He screams, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? This phrase is very hard to um, uh, translate. It's an idiom. But basically it means, why are you bothering me? Why are you bothering me? And he cries out. That word cries out is a word that can oftentimes mean scream and shout. This demon can't stand it anymore. And why is he doing it? Because he knows Jesus is the Messiah. That's why he said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
He knows. And so here's the, the Messiah, the one who has the power to cast, out, cast demons into hell. And they know his purpose. Look at verse number 34 with me again. Have you come to destroy us? The demons know that Christ one day is going to cast them all into hell. All of them. Millions and millions of demons are going to get cast into hell. That's why God created hell, the Bible says, for Satan and his angels. They understand their, perfect, uh, per, their future perfectly, and they are frightened when Jesus appears on the scene. Because Jesus' immediate act, as soon as he started his ministry, was to take it straight to Satan, wasn't it? Right out there in the wilderness. Now in the synagogues. You remember the demoniac of Gadara? The demons in that demoniac, their plea was for Jesus not to cast them into the pit, but to do what with them? Put them in the swine, right? In the hogs. Wasn't even in Iowa either. <laughs> their, their plea was for Jesus not to cast them into the pit. James chapter 2, verse number 19 says this, You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. That word shudder means to be struck with extreme terror. They know. They understand. And so when Jesus came into Galilee, the demonic forces were in a panic because they knew what he came to do. Now, an overwhelming number of demonized people or demonically possessed people appear during the ministry of Jesus, indicating that they're literally moving in to people as fast as they could, probably to hold on to people. And there are millions of demons. And it's, with fever, it's a feverish time of activity as the kingdom of darkness tries to hold on to its prisoners. It's, it's like the Bible just all the time is talking about them casting people out because Satan is just flooding the area. It's just like a military combat, right? When one area is being, is being defeated, what, what do you do? You overwhelm the enemy as best you can. And so Jesus is bringing spiritual warfare to them. But here's my point. How? How does he bring spiritual warfare? It's very simple. He preaches the gospel. The gospel is the message that strikes fear in the hearts of demons. How do you fight spiritual warfare? You preach the gospel. That's it. You preach the word of God. You give people the gospel. And when you give someone the gospel, think of it this way, frame it this way. When you go to your neighbor who is lost and you give them the gospel, you are taking it directly to them. You're taking it directly to the realm of Satan. You are doing the Lord's bidding. Have you ever thought of it that way? I am charging the demonic realm, the forces of evil, when I, in love, give the gospel to somebody I care about. That's an interesting way to frame it, isn't it? It is the gospel that they fear. Why? 
Because it is the gospel that rips people from the domain of Satan to the domain of God. And you know what? That's why it's such a shame that so many churches have such shallow, vapid preaching. It's terrible. So much of preaching today is man-centered, focusing on the here and the now, how to have a better marriage, how to do better at your job, how to live a better life, social justice and feminism, and all that stuff. And Satan and the demons are not afraid of that kind of preaching at all. That doesn't bother them. The worst thing that threatens demons is when a pastor stands up and preaches the clear, powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was the clear, powerful, accurate preaching of Christ that caused these demons to panic, wasn't it? One theologian wrote this, It follows that to neglect the preaching of that word or in any way cast doubt on people's minds as to its authority and trustworthiness is to play directly into Satan's hands and to help maintain his bondage over them. Anybody who comes along and casts doubt on the Bible is aiding and assisting Satan. Isn't that the logical inference of what is being taught in Scripture? That's the logical inference. When you preach the gospel to your neighbors and family members, you are preaching a message that sets people free. Why wouldn't you want to preach that message? But if a pastor goes into a pulpit with human ideas and human cleverness, he literally emasculates himself. If you want power, real power, then preach the gospel. Because it's only the gospel that liberates people. Second thing I want you to see about demons is that demons don't inhabit true believers. There is no clear example where a believer is, is possessed by a demon. Satan can work on the minds of people. For example, there, there's one clear example of, of this going on. As far as I can tell, this is my opinion, is Ananias and Sapphira. Because the Bible says that Satan placed in their heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. So were they, were they real believers? We can't be certain. They don't seem to be possessed by the devil, though. And they, but they were definitely influenced. But we don't see in any New Testament epistles, in any place, where Satan or demons literally indwelt believers. Also... Never in the New Testament are believers warned about the possibility of being inhabited by demons. Never in the New Testament do we see anybody rebuking demons, binding demons, or casting demons out of a true believer. You do not find that in Scripture. Additionally, the epistles of the New Testament never instructs believers to cast demons out of anybody, believers or unbelievers. When you look at your New Testaments, Christ and the apostles were the only ones who cast out demons. If you remember back in Luke chapter number 10, Jesus commissioned the 70 to go out, and they had power to do that. 
The apostles had power to do that. And in every case, the demon-possessed people were unbelievers. And it never says, and this is interesting, it never says that the demon-possessed people ever believed or even repented. So that brings up a question. This is an important question. Please hear this. Why then were they casting demons out? The answer is very simple. Jesus said, if I'm casting out demons, then what? The kingdom of God is here. Remember him saying that? It was a sign miracle that the kingdom is here. Even more, demons can't live in Christians. They, they, they can't. Look at this verse with me. I'm going to put it up on the screen. This is 2 Corinthians 6. What accord does Christ have with Belial? Belial is another name for Satan. Uh, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Individually and corporately, we're the temple of the holy God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. It is clear as crystal, Satan cannot dwell where God does. They're completely incompatible. You know what that means by inference? You don't have to be afraid of demons. Are they powerful? Way more powerful than you or I. Do we need to fear them? Not at all. Not at all. Paul said this. Paul said he has, um, I'm sorry, let me get to the next screen here. Paul said he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's Colossians 1.13. Paul also said that victory is guaranteed for us. I'm sorry, John said this. He said, you have overcome the evil one. That's what he said to the church. You have overcome the evil one through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? 1 John 4, 4 says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, where is Satan and his demons? They're in the world. Who is in us? God is in us. Then we need not fear demons. Now, demons, I want to say this one more time. Fear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll say this. Your words don't matter to demons. They don't care about your words. Matter of fact, you remember, the, I love reading this story, and I know many of you do too. Uh, in Acts chapter 17, the, the sons of Sceva. Remember that story? Some of the exorcists tried to cast out demons. They tried to do it in the name of Paul. And what, what did the evil spirit do? It says, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And then what happened next? And the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them and mastered all seven of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. That's how much regard they have for your word. <laughs> None. Funny story, isn't it? Unless you're a son of Sceva, then it's not so funny. They laugh at your words. And so these silly people... 
who are on TV, who say, I bind you. I bind the demon of fear. I bind the demon of anger. I bind the demon of lust, a demon of depression, the demon of sickness or whatever. They are laughable. Because what causes demons to shudder? What does the Bible say clearly, unequivocally? It's the power of the gospel. The gospel invades their kingdom, releases prisoners, releases captives, and basically destroys Satan's kingdom. That's what destroys the kingdom. Not your words. Not I bind you. You don't bind anyone. One more thing about demons. Demons can cause physical suffering. Remember Job? It is very possible that sometimes the sickness that you have could be caused by a demon as the ultimate spiritual source. Okay? Possible. Satan brought boils onto Job, but, but it doesn't stop there. Matthew chapter 4 indicates that demons can cause seizures and paralysis. In Matthew 12, a demon made a man blind and mute. I already mentioned the crippled woman, right? The one that had the spirit, okay? In Mark 5, the man who had the legion of demons was, uh, when they were cast out, he was in his right mind. So they can affect your mental capacities as well. Now hear what I'm not saying. Everybody hear this. I am not saying that all mental illness or diseases from demons. I am not saying that. I am saying that they have the power to cause those things to happen. I am not saying at all that all mental disease and all physical illnesses from demons, but they can cause it. They have that ability. And I say all this because it's interesting the way the Bible frames it. And I've wondered this for years. For years I would read this and try to figure out what it's talking about. Because in the Gospels, when, when a demon is cast out, the Bible says they're healed. They're healed of the demon. That's the language. These healings were miracles of the Messiah. Only Christ and the people he commissioned healed people, demons, and no one else. And so when, when demons were dealt with in unbelievers, they were dealt with in terms of absolute, divine, supernatural authority, either Christ's own authority or the authority of the apostles who he delegated that authority to. Let's go back to our text if you're not there. I want, I want to give you one more thing. Luke 4, 35 but Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. We'll stop there for just a second. This demon did not want to do it. He did not want to do it all. And so he was violent with the person that he was with. But the amazing part of it is, because there are instances where demons cause real physical harm, this person was not harmed by the violence, was he? Not at all. Verse number 36, And they were all amazed and said to one, one another, What is this word? Notice it's the word. For the, with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. They were amazed at the power of Jesus. They should have understood, 
And some rightly understood that this is a sign of the Messiah. This is a, a healing of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But that demon didn't want to leave. And so he violently threw the man down. But by the grace of God, he was not harmed. Let me, let me just wrap this up. Can I wrap it up real quick? Okay. Number one, demonic possession and heightened activity are only found during Christ's ministry in the apostolic era. This was the time of the initiation of the kingdom of God. Jesus fired the first salvo of spiritual warfare. Some of you are, are old enough to remember back Operation Desert Storm. Remember that? Remember Operation Desert Storm? You were sitting there watching TV that night, and all of a sudden you got Wolf Blitzer hiding for his life, the cameraman, and what do you see going on? You, you see, you see um, there, there's all kinds of AAA going up in the air, all kinds of explosions and stuff, but you know what the interesting part of it is? This is back in the 91, I believe is when it happened, that they didn't affect anything because that was the first major use of our stealth fighter jets and our, our cruise missiles and stuff, and they couldn't affect them at all. And when I was thinking about Satan and what he was doing in Galilee and in Israel, I was thinking this. Satan is throwing everything he can because Jesus brought the war to him just like we brought the war to Iraq, right? Brought the war to them, and everything they threw at Jesus, all the AAA, all the shock and awe, all the pain and suffering and everything, it wasn't affecting anything that Jesus was doing, was it? And so demonic activity, heightened demonic activity, is only found during Christ's ministry in the apostolic era. Number two, no Christian can be possessed by a demon. We have Christ in us we are his temple satan is not allowed in christ's temple is he number three we need not fear demons the spirit is in us christ won the war and they fear us in the respect that we bring the light to them we bring the war to them when we take the word of god like I said, when I meet with people who are unsaved, uh, go, go to meals and stuff like that, I bring the Word of God. Why do I bring the Word of God? Because it's taking us straight to Satan. It's taking us straight to his demons. And I love that person, and I want to see them converted. Don't, don't you? Don't you? And so we bring the Word of God. So you don't need to fear the demons at all. Number four and five, demons can inhabit lost People, but their primary work is in the background. They're behind the terrible anti-Christian legislation being proposed in our capitals. They're behind the worldly philosophies being taught in our universities. They're behind uh, the evil of this day. Their primary work is in the background. So it's very hard to pin something down as an overt demonic activity. And then number five, and this is what I keep reminding you of, is the way they are defeated. The way they're defeated is by the gospel. My encouragement to you is be in God's word. Learn God's word. Memorize God's word. Give the gospel. Live the gospel. Tell the gospel. Tell everybody you know. Because when you do, you are giving something that Satan has absolutely no power over. 
Isn't that that wonderful? That's exciting to me that little old me can give the gospel that rips people out of Satan's domain, and that's what I want more than anything. You want to confront the kingdom of darkness? Preach the word of God. That threatens demons. They don't care about your opinion. They don't care about worldly philosophies, but they fear the gospel that you preach. I want to leave you with this verse. The words of Paul. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood or any politician in D.C. or Richmond or anywhere else, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And we, we alone, have in Jesus Christ the power to overcome that by simply preaching His Word. If I can encourage you one thing this week, every single one of you, find one person this week and get out there on the front lines and, and tell people the gospel and pray that God will rip people out of the domain of Satan and into the domain of His wonderful light. Isn't that wonderful? Lord, we thank You for the power of the gospel. So many times we think about our cleverness and our abilities to speak and, and wonderful illustrations that we come up with and analogies and all that. And Lord, it's just the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to deliver people out of bondage to Satan. And I pray that even today, we will put more confidence in your word and in your gospel than we've ever had before and confidently go out and tell people about Jesus Christ and witness to people and and preach the gospel to one another as well because it helps us avoid the snares and temptations that Satan and uh, his his followers want to bring our way. Uh, And I pray, Lord, that you will be pleased with the singing that we're about to do in Christ's name. Amen.